Hi, this is Wes Doyle, and I'd like to welcome you to the first episode of the Bitwise podcast, where we'll explore the history of computer science, the craft of software development, and the implications of an increasingly digital world. A quick bit about myself, I'm a mechanical engineer turned software developer and a student of engineering. I've spent the last year reading more about the history of computer science, and the more I've read, the more fascinating it gets. So. I thought I'd make a podcast as sort of an outlet for that story to be told. I think it's a captivating history and one that's perhaps not as well known as it deserves. My hope is that over time this podcast might provide a resource not just for computer scientists and engineers, but really for anyone interested in the story of human ingenuity and ambition, as well as what it means to live during a time when computation is ubiquitous where algorithms and social networks play an ever-increasing role in our lives, and the social, ethical, and scientific implications of technological progress. One of the things that I find so fascinating about the history of CS is that it's a story of ideas meeting application, where some of the most abstract thinking, ideas about logic and epistemology, is balanced by the concrete practice of engineering, the sweat and perseverance of craftsmanship and business, It's a story of philosophers and writers setting a vision for engineers and laborers and the scientists to bring into being. Even if you've never written a line of code, I hope you find the stories explored in this podcast fascinating, if only for the human element. So thanks for joining me, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. For the first phase of this podcast, I'm going to do my best to deliver a concise history of computer science. We'll start with the ancient origins of computation, explore some of the mathematical foundations developed in Europe and the U.S. throughout the 18th to early 20th centuries, the emergence of computing hardware and software, cryptography, seminal languages and operating systems, the personal computer revolution, the internet, up to present day with an examination of topics including artificial intelligence and quantum computing. Where the podcast will go from there, I'm not entirely sure, but I think it would be fun to do deep dives into specific subjects, especially with subject matter experts, as well as perhaps host discussions about the implications of technological progress, especially as it relates to computer science. In this episode, we'll examine some of the earliest known examples of human calculation to get a sense of where all this may have started. Think for just a minute about how often you engage in some activity that requires computation. Now think about the tools we use for those types of tasks. That is, something that takes an input and by some set of rules produces some useful output, often with a way to store and retrieve information for some period of time. I think it's really pretty easy to take this for granted, but just consider how ubiquitous tools of computation are today. We've virtually offloaded all of these tasks to machines, whether it's to provide some mundane functionality like an oven timer or a parking meter, or something more complex and specialized, like predicting the weather controlling a geothermal power plant, or searching and indexing millions of books. We as humans have progressively discovered more and more elaborate ways to leverage tools to help us with the types of tasks that involve counting, measurement, 
calculation according to sets of rules, and information storage and retrieval. If we back up a bit, we might contemplate how we got here, at least from a sort of functional perspective. It's easy to imagine how the need for tools of calculation arose as human civilization expanded. If we think about the systems of accounting, for example, required for trade, transportation, property management, military, religious, and political institutions, all of these systems surely emerged long before the advent of tools of computation did. Nonetheless, these social systems provided a need to track larger and more complex entities and to perform calculation. Certainly the earliest forms of using external symbols for counting included using our own anatomy, like our hands, fingers, segments of our digits. But at a certain point, we certainly needed more reliable, scalable utilities for keeping track of numeric information. One of the earliest known tools used for accounting and memory aid is the tally stick. The simplest form of a tally stick consisted of a piece of wood or bone or some other hard material, whereby notches were made in succession to represent a number of events or some other quantity that perhaps mapped to some concept in the real world. One of the earliest examples we have is the Ishango bone, discovered in 1960 in the Belgian Congo, currently the Democratic Republic of Congo, and it dates from the Upper Paleolithic era, or about 40,000 years ago. This Ishango bone is actually the fibula, one of the lower leg bones of an ancient baboon. Another example of such an artifact is the Labombo bone, which is even a bit older, perhaps 43 to 44,000 years it was discovered in a cave in the Labombo Mountains in Swaziland. It also, interestingly enough, is constructed from a baboon fibula and has a series of notches on it which some researchers believe may correspond to a lunar calendar. While it is certainly impossible to know for sure how or why these prehistoric artifacts were used, we can see how creating a sort of mnemonic device on a simple uh, piece of bone, just drawing some notches on it, might be a way that some of our ancient ancestors used a tool for keeping track of information. If we look at another form of tally stick, the so-called split tally, we find a much more recent tool that seems to have been widely used throughout medieval Europe to establish a receipt of trade between two parties, whereby wooden sticks were marked with a series of notches before being split lengthwise. That way each party of a transaction could keep track of a record for accounting purposes. This was useful because it was fairly tamper-proof, in that if one party tried to modify their record by adding notches to their end of the stick, and the two splits were ever rejoined, the tampering would be immediately evident. In the early 12th century, Henry I of England introduced the use of the split tally as a means of currency for taxes. In fact, this method was in use for nearly 700 years to follow, until 1826. If we look back about 4,500 years we find the first believed use of a real tool for calculation, the Sumerian abacus, or counting board, a sort of precursor to the modern abacus. It was originally a surface used for counting in the Sumerian number system. This Sumerian number system is actually sexagesimal, or base 60. It's interesting to note that base 60 is still used in measuring time, angles, and geographic measurement. So there are 60 minutes in an hour, for instance, and 360 degrees in a circle. Base 60 is actually a quite useful number system for things like fractions, since it has 12 factors. One fancy mathematical property of the number 60 is that it is a superior, highly composite number. 
which just means that it's a natural number with more divisors than any other number scaled relative to some positive power of the number itself. So between 0 and 60, there are more factors than there are for any other number between 0 and 60. The interesting thing here, though, is that the divisibility of 60 may not have been the only reason it came to be used for counting and calculation by the Sumerians. The Sumerians had seven sky gods. Today we might look up and recognize them as the sun, the moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. The two slowest moving of these are the planets Jupiter and Saturn, which take 12 and 30 years respectively to track through the zodiac, which is just an imaginary band in the sky, a belt that's about 20 degrees wide in latitude, through which the sun, the moon, and the planets appear to move. It's remarkable, but the Sumerians actually understood this 12 and 30 year time span. The least common multiple of 12 and 30 is 60, so in 60 years time, Jupiter would go through five cycles and Saturn would go through two. This may just be another reason why 60 was chosen by the Sumerians as an important number and a useful one for measuring time. There may also be a sort of geometric case for the number 60. The Pythagorean theorem was actually well known in ancient Mesopotamia. And if we take a look at the example of a 3-4-5 right triangle, we notice that actually the product of those numbers is also 60. The oldest known surviving counting board is called the Salamis Tablet from approximately 300 BCE from Babylon, so a little bit later than the Sumerians. It was discovered on the Greek island of Salamis, and it's essentially a flat piece of marble containing different sets of lines for different figures. We find similar tools for counting and calculation throughout other ancient civilizations. The ancient Greek historian Herodotus who lived from 484 to 425 BCE, describes the Egyptian use of a counting board that was operated by moving pebbles from right to left on a surface. Similar counting boards and precursors to the modern abacus were likely in use throughout ancient China, Japan, India, and Africa. An interesting etymological note here, the Roman expression for to calculate is calculos ponere, literally to place pebbles. The word calculi in Latin is a term for a pebble used as a game piece or a reckoning counter, which in turn is a diminutive of the Latin calx or chalk, and this is where we get the term calculate. Some of the earliest counting boards consisted of a series of grooves on a flat surface, preventing the pebbles from rolling off. These grooves were called alveoli, and as mentioned, the pebbles were called calculi. You can imagine how this might have been used. Marked at the top of each groove was a number represented by each counter in that column. So we could use different pebbles and their position to represent different orders of magnitude in some larger number. The Chinese abacus, or suanpan, dates back 2,000 years and is in fact still used today throughout different parts of the world, particularly in certain shops and markets throughout rural Eastern Europe and Asia. If you've never seen one, I encourage you to find an image to get a visual sense of the tool. You can probably picture it, um, but it's basically just a, a handheld flat wooden frame mechanism. It contains a series of rods or strings that tether a series of beads used for counting. One of the most common classical variations of the abacus contains a series of 13 rods corresponding to orders of magnitude in the base 10 number system. In certain Japanese variations of the abacus called sotoban, they have nine rods and even up to 31 rods. There's a lower section 
in the uh, Chinese abacus called xiaju, containing five beads on each rod, each having a value of one for its order of magnitude. In an upper section, the shangju, which is separated from the lower section by a perpendicular bar, having two beads per rod, each having a value of five for its order of magnitude. This is a little bit difficult to describe um, just in audio format, so it might help if you kind of pull up a picture and get a sense of what it looks like. Sometimes you'll hear this common layout described as the 5 plus 2 abacus. More modern abacus actually have a 4 plus 1 configuration. There's a little bit of a difference between the way the two configurations are used with the 4 plus 1 implementing a complementary number system for calculation. You might actually be surprised to see just how quickly a skilled abacus user can calculate very large numbers. And in fact, for basic arithmetic, a skilled abacus user can basically use an abacus as quickly as they might a digital calculator. Now if we go back just about 2,000 years to ancient Greece, right around 100 BCE, we find one of the earliest known mechanical analog computers, the Greek Antikythera mechanism. So a mechanical analog computer is basically just a device that uses some material phenomenon, some high-level mechanics, if you will, to model some other phenomenon in the world. In the case of this device, it's believed to have served as an orrery, or a mechanical model of the solar system. And it could be used to predict with great precision the position of astronomical bodies and events like eclipses. There are other notable analog computers even earlier in the 5th century BCE in China, we have the south-pointing chariot, which was actually also the first known use of a differential gearing system, like you might find in your car, for example. The south-pointing chariot was used to provide a means of navigation without the use of a magnetic compass. If we jump ahead now, back to the 12th century, al Jazari of Turkey invented an elaborate precursor to the clock tower. So if you think about a sort of structure um, that contains some elaborate series of pulleys and perhaps levers that control a, a very large clock. al Jazari created this uh, device that we call his castle clock, which was pretty big. It was actually three and a half meters tall, and it was an astronomical clock that not only kept time but modeled the orbits of astronomical bodies. And it implemented a series of mechanical automata in the form of musicians that played music, all powered by a water wheel. It was even programmable. The device could be recalibrated to account for the change in the length of the day according to the time of year. Al-Jazari's device is actually considered to be the first programmable analog computer. So we have a sense now of some of the ancient innovations that predated computer science. It's interesting to note how these devices really focused on augmenting the human ability to understand and calculate the change in time, and also to deal with quantities and arithmetic that would be too difficult to store in our heads for any length of time. We can imagine also how a deeper, more reliable understanding of the configuration of celestial bodies must have helped with things like navigation and planning. So far, we're talking about advancements in tool use, essentially a sort of engineering or material history, if you will. But there's another side to this too. As we try to think about this in the context of the history of computing, the other facet of this history we should investigate is the sort of idea side, if you will, the mathematical and philosophical origins of computer science. 
that is the theoretical side of the history, which is really just as fascinating. So in the next episode, we will start to take a look at some of the early mathematical foundations of computer science.